welcome to the At Peace Parents podcast. I'm Casey, and I'm here to empower you in your decision-making as a parent of a demand-avoidant child. My goal is to share insights that will generate aha moments and support your connection with your child. I'm a mom of two amazing little boys, one of whom is PDA, and I've worked with hundreds of parents just like you to teach them how to lead their child out of burnout and find the clarity, peace, and sense of community they need. Pathological demand avoidance or PDA on a spectrum. So this is a question I got from a parent recently and my very short answer is yes. And now I want to explain to you how I think about it so that it's helpful for you. So rather than thinking about PDA on a spectrum, I think of it as a distribution which is how I think of many things because I have a lot of statistical training. So what is a distribution? A distribution, and we're going to dork out here, is I'm thinking of a normal distribution, okay? So here is the average or the mean. And let's say this is a distribution of kids, right? Our children are outside the normal distribution of things like sensitivity of their threat response. But then we can take a chunk of these outliers that are our kids, and that forms its own distribution, okay? So there's also a normal distribution, I believe, of PDA children in terms of how sensitive their threat response is and how disabling the survival drive for autonomy is. So that's what we're going to kick off today talking about. Again, the question was, is PDA on a spectrum? And my short answer is yes, but now I'm explaining why I think that way. Okay, so first, how do we define PDA as a disability? Okay, so the way that I define PDA as a disability is a survival drive for autonomy and equality that consistently overrides other survival instincts like toileting, eating, sleeping, safety, and aspects of basic needs like hygiene. Okay, so that's what makes it a disability because that neuroception of threat impedes either in the moment or over time access to basic needs that the child, teen, or individual needs to survive. Okay, so autonomy just means freedom, choice, the ability to make decisions. Autonomy is something that all of us need, but whether or not it disables us from accessing our basic needs is a matter of degree and what I use to define PDA. Okay, so in some ways that is a little bit binary, but then there's a distribution. Okay, I've worked now with hundreds, hundreds of families. So I have a large end sample, which just means I have a lot of data points that I can use to think about this distribution. So the degree to which PDA is disabling for your child or teen depends on three things. One of those is actually malleable and we can shift. Okay, so the first thing is the threshold of tolerance. So threshold of tolerance, that just means the point at which over time, if we're consistently perceiving that our body's in danger, eventually we're going to start to tip over into trauma. We've passed our threshold. And that's when your kid goes into constant fight, flight, or freeze, or when they start to consistently not be able to eat or sleep through the night or have toileting regressions or incaprices or all the things that affect them physically. 
Okay, so let's say one child can have a threshold here and one child can have a threshold here, okay? And so that makes a difference, right? How much accumulation of activation tips them over into burnout. Okay, but often parents, including myself, we don't have any idea where their threshold is because over and over and over and over again, their brain is constantly perceiving threat because they're always losing autonomy and equality on a perceptual level. It tells their body, hey, you're in danger. There's a lion in front of you. So that builds over time and that's cumulative, right? So most of us, when we come to PDA as parents, when we learn about it, our children are past the threshold. Okay, so we don't know where it is. We just know like anything that I do or any experience sets them into off into fight or flight, oppositional or defiant behavior, and they're now needing to use a diaper again, or they'll only poop in the bathtub, or they're moving into a non-24-hour sleep cycle. Okay, so the accommodation approach, the purpose is to get them below their threshold so that they have a window, right, where they'll still get activation because that's how their brain works, but it won't tip them over into burnout. But where your child's threshold is, when we start working together or if we're in a program or if you're just using the materials that I provide for free, which is awesome, until you consistently do an accommodation approach, you're not going to know where your child's threshold is. And that's what determines what how disabling the threat response is, right? So there's three things. The th- where your child's threshold of tolerance is. And I know from experience that some children have a lower threshold and some have a higher threshold so they can tolerate more activation before they start to go into burnout, right? Second, we have the sensitivity of neuroception, which just means like the limbic system or the part of their brain that's survival oriented. Some kids have it more sensitive than others. And that's true in a distribution, even for neurotypical kids, even for other types of neurodivergence, right? There's a distribution, of course. And then the third thing is where the magic happens for us as parents because cumulative nervous system activation, our child's threshold might actually be fairly high as a pda but we didn't know they were PDA, so they're in school without accommodations. They're going into behavioral therapy and we're parenting typically. So every moment they're building towards the threshold, they're way past it, but they can actually not be quite as disabled if we accommodate and bring them below that. So the thing that is where our agency is as parents, as therapists, as teachers, as pediatricians is in that third component, the cumulative nervous system activation, right? So a child can be PDA, but if they're accommodated, we can bring them below the threshold. So when they still activate, there's a window which comes from the trauma literature, the window of tolerance. So Again, we're answering the question, is PDA a spectrum? Yes, like many things, it's on a distribution. Even within PDA, there is a distribution of how disabling the threat response is, how sensitive the neuroception is, and where the threshold of tolerance is. And then the third factor, which is based on the context and accommodations of how much cumulative nervous system activation your child has. But that's the good news, because that's where our agency is and where we can accommodate and really share things, right? So the third thing I'll say is, you know, often we can't tell exactly what is causing the avoidance or nervous system activation or what exactly is disabling to our children. I've worked with a lot of families who have a PDA child who is also OCD, right? And the way that I work with families is to isolate the PDA variable. So like go all in on lowering the threshold. So then once they're below the threshold and they have a window of tolerance, you 
you can see what else is going on, right? So I think of it not binary of like, it's either OCD or PDA, but rather first we focus on PDA and that's my specialty, right? And then once they're below the threshold and you still see anxiety, let's go talk to a developmental pediatrician about anxiety, right? And it's sequential. But so often because PDA isn't well known and we don't often work through the autonomy and nervous system lens, we're prioritizing like exposure and anxiety frames or sensory frames before the child is below the threshold. And we can start to see and parse what's actually causing what. And I'll just be honest, like when I start a coaching container, we do the EDAQ and I have intake paperwork and I talk to the parents and figure out in the distribution of cases that I've worked with, where does this child fit? But I don't always know what degree, to what degree PDA is going to be disabling over the long term because often, as I said before, the parents are coming to me because their child is already so far past their threshold right? So we can approximate, but it's not always clear until we experiment with accommodations until we do it consistently over time. And I will say like, even if it's not a disability, right? A lot of neurodivergent kids have very strong drives for autonomy and the accommodations can certainly help them. But I work with families through a cost benefit framework for decision making and the costs and benefits are unique if the child has a survival drive that overrides other things. So that is how I think about PDA being on a spectrum. My 10 minute answer, long answer to the short answer, which is yes, I do believe PDA is on a spectrum and has different degrees of severity in terms of disabling. Thanks everyone for being here with me at the At Peace Parents podcast. This is your source for all things related to understanding, supporting, accommodating, and advocating for your PDA child. To go deeper on any of these topics, check out my course offerings and masterclasses at the website www.atpeaceparents.com. To completely transform the way you think about and relate to your child and to bring peace and stability to your home, join us for the next cohort of the Paradigm Shift program.